All right. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we are going to jump right in. We're going to read the first five verses. So let's do something different just to keep you kind of stretched out. Why don't you stand with me as we read these verses? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. I'm getting heckled from the front here. How can I? Yeah. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, and I ask now that these words would be yours. And, and Lord, as we come here this morning, many with uh, heavy hearts, some with hearts filled with joy, some with doubt, some with pain, God, this morning we ask that you'd meet us here. And we believe that this word is inspired by you, written by man, and it applies to our lives. And so God, use these words to transform our hearts more and more into your image and likeness. We give you this time now in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. So Robert Frost once said that good fences make good neighbors. And though that is the case, at least in our situation, when you have, you know, good fences help keep the dogs out of your backyard and, and separate space. But when we're talking about relationships and building relational fences, they don't make good neighbors. Fences, when we talk about relational fences, don't make strong churches. They don't make healthy marriages. They don't make healthy work environments. And so today, the title we're looking at is, I, I've called today's thing, Raising Walls. And those of you who scored higher than I did on my SATs, the English portion, will know that the form of raising here is R-A-Z-I-N-G, which is complete opposite of the other way. Instead of building walls, we, I believe that today's passage has to do with tearing them down. And so as we look at this passage today, though it is written by Paul to a church in Philippi, it is to a group of Christians in a church, and it was instructions to help their own community. I believe that this goes beyond just church relationships, but this has to do with your relationship with each other in your marriage, with your parents, with your kids, with significant others, with roommates, with coworkers. And so today, we want to find encouragement from this in God's word and instruction for us. So as we get started here, let's jump right in, and we're going to take this verse by verse. He starts off and says, therefore. Now we got to stop right there. So anytime when you are reading scripture on your own throughout the week, anytime you get to the phrase, therefore, you need to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. And so when you get to therefore, you need to say, okay, wh why is there a therefore here? So you need to look back, and this is, as Dale taught through last week's passage, that was the summary of all of chapter one, and we need to understand that to get into today. So you can go back and listen to last week's message, but there's one verse from last week that will set this up, and it's chapter one, verse 27. 
Paul's writing, he says, only, and this is his summary of chapter one, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And last week's message was titled, To Live Worthy, and it has to do with what are the the marks of a life that is living worthy of the gospel. And it's interesting that this, this phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner, is one word in Greek. And it is a word that means behave as a citizen of. And so he says, behave as a citizen that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let your life represent and look like someone who is captured by the gospel of Jesus or the good news about Jesus. The good news that says that he comes to save us in our sin. And it's nothing that we have done, but he comes and enters in and rescues us and starts transforming us by his spirit lived in us and through us and shaping our lives. And last week, Dale walked us through that idea of standing. How we do that is when we stand united together with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. And it has to do with, this is what it looks like to be citizens of the gospel of Jesus. So Paul, that is his summary of chapter one. And he says, okay, you got that? Now therefore, chapter two, Because these are the marks of a life of someone who's living as a citizen worthy of the message of Jesus. Then he goes into four phrases here. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. Now, another little grammar thing. We don't like to do a whole lot of grammar Uh, but sometimes it's important that you understand. Now, when I read this and I hear that if there's encouragement in Christ, to me, I assume it means, well, if you happen to be encouraged because of Jesus, if you happen to find comfort and love, but this is actually a phrase that it's an if clause where the condition is understood to be true. Now, what do I mean by that? I know the school year's almost over, so you don't want to hear language like this. So, if when it's understood to be true means he's saying this not as if this is a possibility, but it is a reality. An example would be, if you are here with us this morning, be ready to hear from God. If you are, re- if you are here with us today, be ready to praise and open your hearts to him. See, the condition is understood. You are already here. So when Paul writes these, he's not saying if, I don't know, if you find encouragement in Christ. He's saying If there's any encouragement in Christ, which there is, if there's any comfort of love, which there is. And so another way, maybe in your Bible, you can circle, you can even put since, we might be a better word. Since there is encouragement with Christ. It is a condition that is assumed to be true. And it's important that we go with that understanding because the next verse, he couples these phrases with action. So we want to see that. So in chapter, or verse 1, he says if, and it names these four phrases. Now in verse 2, he couples those four phrases with four more. He says, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Oh, I'm sorry. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, and being intent on one purpose. And what, what I want to do here today is walk through each of those four Phrases from verse 1 and verse 2, coupled with the action. So the first one is this. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, which there is, be of one mind. So that's the first thing we want to look at. 
If there is any encouragement of Christ, be of the same mind. What does he mean by this? First of all, we want to look at this, and, and this word, again, encouragement, actually has to do, with, it's a word that we use for exhortation more than anything, which means to encourage somebody to action. It's not just an encouragement that you walk around feeling encouraged or happy about it. It's not like, oh, you know, I follow Jesus, so that's good. I feel encouraged today. I'm going to leave here feeling better than I did coming in. But he's saying, if there's any encouragement or exhortation from Christ, if your life in Christ is moving you towards something different, which that's what happens, then be of the same mind. We believe that our life, and it's important that we understand the phrase in Christ that Paul uses time and time and time again throughout his writings, especially in the book of Philippians. He reminds us that if there's encouragement in Christ. Your life now wrapped up in Christ should cause you or call you to a new way of living as he lives his life through you more and more. As the old you dies and the, and the life of Christ becomes more a part of your reality. And if there is any encouragement to, cha- to have your life transformed because of Christ, which there is, <laughs> then be of the same mind. Now this phrase, be of the same mind, was used by Jesus in one case. There's a story when Jesus is talking to one of his disciples, one of his closest disciples named Peter. And Jesus was talking to Peter and said, hey Peter, I want you to know that what's gonna happen to me is I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to die, but I will raise again in three days. He told Peter that's the plan. And Peter looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, may it never be. No way am I gonna let that happen. And Jesus looked at Peter and said one of my favorite lines in scripture. He said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Which, you know, if Jesus ever says that to you, I don't know. That, I, I'm not, that doesn't feel really like self-help moment. But, um, so he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And he says this phrase, because you do not have your mind on things above. And it's the exact same one word that's used in this phrase. That says, you are not of the same mind of things above. You have your mind on earthly things. You're not tracking with this, Peter. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He used, it's another use of the exact same phrase. And he says this, Those who are according, living according to the flesh, which means to our earthly lives, to our human desires, those who are living according to the flesh set their minds, that's the same word, they are of the same mind, of the flesh. But those who are living according to the Spirit of God, they set their minds on the Spirit. So Paul, when he's using this phrase in Philippians and says, if you have any encouragement in your life in Christ, which you should, because it's changing you and transforming you, then be of the same mind of Christ. Have your mind there. Now this doesn't mean that when you walk around all day long, the only thing you think about is Jesus. This doesn't mean that when you're watching a a basketball game and you want your team to win, that you're saying, it'd be great if they win, but you know it'd be greater, Jesus. You know, I mean, you can have a great meal, like this steak is awesome, but you know what's really awesome? Jesus is awesome. You know, now you can think that way, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with thinking that way, but when he says set your mind on things above, it, it, it doesn't mean don't ever think about anything that's in the world. It's how do you, where do you let your mind go? 
We used to live in Mission Viejo, and we had a lake in Mission Viejo, and we would rent this party boat and, and drive it around the lake. It was about three miles circumference, and we would look. At, at dusk, it was fantastic because all the nice big houses, they have their lights on, and we'd look inside, a kind of creepy family, but we would uh, drive around, and, and, and I'd always ask the kids, hey, which of these houses do you want me to buy for you? Which one do you want? And we'd pick out our favorite ones. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, Right? But there would be times when then I would start thinking, that would be awesome. I wonder what it would take to get one of those. And then I would think like, well, okay, I'm a youth pastor, so um, playing the lotto is the most logical way. Because <laughs> my family came from a family of farmers, and even when they die, that's not going to help. So, okay, so playing the lotto, okay, but if I only do it like once a week, that's probably not a sin. I'm not like gambling. And if I win, I'll give part of it to the church. And God probably would want that money to be used for his kingdom. So, and, and I can start my mind going down there. And what happens is then I can all of a sudden be discontent with the house that I had. And then I could start thinking, God, maybe I should have done something different for work and because I could have these types of things. And, and what I find was then envy could sneak in and maybe even greed. And that, again, Playing that game, which house do you want me to buy? Is there anything wrong with that? No. But when I found my heart going down that road and not coming out of it, then I found, wait, maybe I'm not setting my mind on things above because it's other effects are creeping in. You know, this week, uh, there was some tragic news here in North County from one of the, the local churches. We heard of a, a moral failure of a, of a pastor of a church locally. And, and uh, many of you know this pastor. Many of you have probably been to his church in the past or, or know him, and I know some of you do. And, and the news hits pretty hard, does it not? I mean, someone who I've spent a lot of time with. And you hear that and think, okay, what's going on? And my wife spent a lot of time this week asking, how do you get there? How do you get from trying to teach and encourage people to live and let Christ live through you and be transformed by his spirit to having a failure that you look at and say, where did that come from? And I don't know. There's no, there's no easy answer, and I'm not trying to give easy answers. But I know we are all susceptible to sin. None of us are above it. And anytime we start thinking that we are, then you're on dangerous ground, so don't be. <laughs> Why do we have small groups in this church? Because we believe you need people walking with you who can ask you real questions. We want you to not lie to those people in your group. We need to be fervently praying for one another. We need to be fervently praying for your leadership. We need to be fervently praying for marriages in this church, for our single adults. We need to be praying that God would protect us. Now, how does someone get to the point of this big failure that you say, wow, you threw your whole life away? I don't know. But I know that it doesn't just go, you don't go from zero to 100. There's probably some steps along the way that you could trace back and say, oh, if I only would have not let my mind dwell this way, if I only would have not put myself in this situation, if I only would have not taken this step. And I believe that that often happens in, in, in sometimes in much smaller ways. But when we allow our mind to keep dwelling on the flesh, to be of one mind of the flesh and not of the spirit, we're on dangerous ground. And so God's calling us to, and Paul even here says, if you have encouragement in Christ, if you're finding the life of Christ should change you and transform you, 
then find encouragement. Then be of one mind. Set your mind on the Spirit and the things above. The next thing he says here is this. He says, if you have any comfort in love, then be of the same love is the next one. Now this phrase here is the agape love. If you find comfort in agape love, this is unconditional love that's given to you. If you find comfort in being loved by God unconditionally, then be of the same love. Now can we unconditionally love others? I think as humans it's not very easy. (laughs) We put conditions on, but I believe it means this. When uh, one of my kids, actually I think they've all probably done this, but when one of them, he was about two years old, um, he was in his room at night and I hear him crying. And you know, as a parent, you start to learn the different cries. You learn that I'm scared. The um, I'm hurt cry, I'm whining cry. Uh, we, you know, you know all of those. And usually those are the ones I say, um, Sarah, go check on them. And then, um, and then there's the I'm scared cry. And this was a two-year-old with a I'm scared cry. So I went in his room, I opened the door, and I immediately kind of figured it out because the smell hit me. And, and, and it wasn't a good smell, and it's, um, parents probably have all had that moment, but, and I don't want to gross you out. If I was teaching the junior hires, I'd go into g- to detail, and probably like 20 would accept the Lord. They'd love it. So, um, <laughs> but basically, he's, uh, the macaroni and cheese he ate that night did not go through the normal process. It, it reversed gears, all right, and went the other way. And, and, and so there's like a cheddar smell. Anyway, so... Yeah. All right. So I went in there and, and his crib is now a mess and he's a mess and he's kind of crying and thinking, dad, what the heck is going on? And and reaches up to me and says, dad. Now, (laughs) before you have kids, you'd be like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, nope. Shut shut the door and say, find your mom. (laughs) But when he reaches up to me, I didn't say, oh, look at you. Would you just clean up your mess? Don't come calling to me all nasty like this. No, as a dad, you reach down in his mess and embrace, okay, I didn't, I I didn't totally embrace him, (laughs) but I picked him up. (laughs) Then hosed him off (laughs) in the backyard, and that was like, in this analogy, symbolic of the Holy Spirit cleansing his life. (laughs) And then I embraced him fully, but um, no, but I, I didn't say, clean up your mess. Don't come to me all nasty. Because my love for him saw him in his mess and said, I care about you. I don't like your mess. I don't want to see this mess again. I know, I know you're in it, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to embrace you, and I want to clean you up. The uh, uh, unconditional love of God is that for us. He looks at you in your mess, and he sees you, and he says, sometimes that is nasty. Really? but he picks you up and embraces you when you call. And the work of God in you begins to clean you and transform your life, and then he cleans you up. So Paul says, do you have comfort in knowing that, that you are loved that way? If you have comfort in knowing that, then be of the same love. Now, notice how that works. That means here at Seacoast, if you're coming, we know you're not perfect. We know you're coming with your own mess. Some of you are coming with with all kinds of different things, and we're not asking you to clean up and then come. We certainly don't like the mess, but we all have our own mess, 
And our prayer is that God would transform and change and clean up the mess and use the garden hose of the Holy Spirit to wash you down and and to change that from within. But I love the fact that we have space being used six nights of the week here for recovery groups because there's a lot of people who are hurting and they are in a mess. And as a church, we choose to embrace them and say, God loves you in your mess. And so Paul says, be of that same mind as a, as a church community in your relationships with others. Don't put a condition on them. Now, this doesn't mean there's never any consequence for sin. Of course, there's physical consequences, there are emotional consequences, there's relational consequences. It doesn't mean that we ignore the effects and the, the ripple effect of sin. We don't. But we love you where you're at. And we believe that God loves you where you're at. And he will work in your life as he works to change and transform you. So Paul says, if there's comfort and love, be of the same love. The next thing he says is if there is any unity or fellowship of the Spirit, and this is of the Holy Spirit, and this really means this common life that's produced by, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in our midst, and it produces a, in our midst, and it produces a common life that we share together. We have something in common. We are, on, we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are on a mission together. And that is because of what Christ has done through the Spirit. There's this fellowship of the Spirit. He says, if you have that, which you do, Then he says, be united in spirit. Have a spirit of unity in your church, in your relationships. Notice this doesn't say have a spirit of unanimity. It doesn't mean that everyone has to think the same, like the same things. But he says, have a spirit of unity. Don't let your preferences and your differences divide you. Let the common shared experience of life in Christ unite you. I'm happy to say here on our elder board, we have a desire in our prayers that we have a spirit of unity. There are times when we may approach a situation or a subject or a decision and we will not have unanimity. We won't all think the same, but we will have unity. It's the same with your staff leadership. That is what we seek after. Now, it just so happens that often we do have unanimity as well. But our goal is that there's unity in spirit. Don't let the preferences be things that divide. Now when things matter, there's certain things that are non-negotiable for us as a church about what we believe and and, and our belief about Jesus and scripture and who God is and the way to salvation. Now those things that we want unanimity because we believe that's truth and we don't want to say, what is your preferred truth? but there's unity of spirit. And then the next thing he says is, if there's any affection and compassion, be of one purpose. I want to teach you the Greek word for compassion because it's fun to say. (laughs) It's splachna. Is that awesome? Look at the person next to you and say splachna. Yeah, that that means intestines. (laughs) Serious. It does. So the Greeks were trying to describe, you know, we say like, oh, I have a gut feeling. I have butterflies in my stomach. I have all these things that we describe, that we physically feel. The Greeks said, okay, what is that? How do I describe compassion? And they say, guts. (laughs) And so it's related to the word there, splagna. And it's this deep feeling of compassion. Jesus often was described to have splagna for the people he saw. He felt it inside. When the crowds 
he say, at one point he sees the crowds and says they look like sheep without a shepherd and he felt compassion. He found a woman caught in adultery and he felt compassion. He saw people who were hurting and lost and he felt compassion. And so the, Paul tells us if, you, if there's any compassion, which there is in Christ, in this community, then be of one purpose. And the one purpose or purpose we need to look at are what were the purposes of Christ? He came, he said, I don't come to heal the healthy, I came to heal the sick. I came to find the lost. Those who are wandering, that's why I'm here. Jesus came to reconcile us, which means to make it us so that we're able to have a friendship with God. And we're instructed then to join in the ministry of reconciliation, which means join in the purpose of helping people find friendship with God because God wants to restore relationship with mankind. So if you have any compassion, be of one purpose. Be a church that's about the things that Jesus is about. Why do we want to reach the lost and wandering and and be a refuge for broken? Why do we want to shine the light of Jesus in our community and invest in the next generation? Why do we want to make disciples where we're understanding our calling and our purpose in Christ? Because it's the one purpose Jesus came for. To discover life in him. To help others discover that life. So if there's compassion, which there is, Paul would say, be of one purpose. Now, we hear all that, and I think, I don't know about you, it doesn't sound all that easy, does it? Right there alone, we could say, okay, just leave us with those four things for the next year, and just let's hope that God, just remind us of that every week, and let's see if we can transform as people. This is difficult. And Paul says, yeah, I know this is kind of tough, because sometimes people might annoy you. <laughs> sometimes. Not anyone in here. I'm not, I'm not talking about anyone in here. Okay, Janie, not, no one at Seacoast. I'm just talking, I heard about it in my parents' church. And so, um, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to, to have these feelings or to have these actions directed towards people. So Paul didn't leave us there. He, he wrote verses three and four. And he said this, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. So I believe that Paul ends this with a little instruction for us. And, and yes, there are some things on the stage that I want to use that will help us. So I believe that what we often do is we like to do things. It's difficult to, have, to live these things out, to have unity, to have all this, these feelings of compassion for each other because we're really good at building fences, and we do this all the time. And I heard once in a, a, a marriage from my parents' church where they go, um, there was a couple once who um, they had struggles sometimes. <laughs> and they started building fences. And anyone ever build a fence? Yeah, you know how we build fences? Sometimes what might happen is, is I know Dave, your wife's not here. I was going to pick on you today, Dave, but your wife's not here. He's been married seven months now? Nine. Oh, he's got this figured out. So, <laughs> so, sometimes, so sometimes maybe you've only been married like nine months, and, and there's an NBA finals game on today, 
And, and maybe it happens to be, this is your nine-month anniversary, which the first year, you have to remember the month. They don't always tell guys that, but it's true. Just like when you have a baby, you have to remember the, the month for the, at least a year. So, um, so, so maybe you said, okay, yeah, it's our nine-month anniversary, but it's not a big deal. We had eight others. And, and so... And, and my friends say, hey, do you want to come over and watch, watch the game today? And, and you can bring your wife and just say, hey, I, I agreed that we would go over and watch the game. It'll be fun, hang out with our friends, and we'll watch a basketball game today. No big deal. And, 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 and in the mind of, of the, her, his wife, which not Dave's wife, because this wouldn't happen to him, but someone else, she's thinking, He's not, he doesn't even care that it's our nine-month anniversary. And, and so he says, yeah, but come on, it's just a game, it's, it's just nine months, and so maybe later tonight we can celebrate. And so they, he, he says, let's just go to the game, and so she doesn't like the way he's disregarding her feelings, and so she puts up a, a board, and there's just a little bit of separation there. And then, and then later in the week, she comes home with a dress that costs $250. And, and she puts it on and says, do, how do you think I look? And what do, you, what do you think about this new dress I bought? And, and even though he might think, wow, she looks really good in this new dress, what he's actually thinking and what he says doesn't always connect because what he actually says is, how much did that cost? <laughs> Whoa, was that a spirit of conviction there? The guys are like, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> And he finds out it's $250, and even though she looks great, he can't really say much about it because all he's thinking is, I've been wanting to get a surfboard for a year, but I've been saving the money, so you know what I'm going to do this week? I'm just going to go get my surfboard. And he puts up a little fence board because now there's something separating them. And, and it's not that Paul said, never look for your own interests. He says, don't not only look out for your own interests, but also consider others. And with humility of mind, consider others better than yourselves or above yourselves. But we're really good about thinking of ourselves, so we put up these boards. And I heard once of a couple that when they were on vacation and they'd rent a car and drive, that that would sometimes produce issues. And, and, and there was a time when someone's wife would say, why are you making all these U-turns? Why don't you just start writing down the directions to where we're going? Do you remember hearing about that couple? <laughs> and he says, because I have a great sense of direction. We will get there. We're not lost. We just haven't found where we're going yet. It's okay. It'll be fine. And, and, and that person's wife would say, well, you just never think of me. Don't you know this causes me stress? And so then we put a fence board up. And, and, and there's all kinds of things. Do you know denominations have done this? Churches said, you know, we think when you baptize someone, you should dunk them all the way underwater. And if you don't dunk the person all the way underwater, it's not biblical. And other churches said, well, I don't think you need to dunk all the way underwater. And by the way, here at our church, our preference is to dunk all the way underwater. But it's, we're okay if you don't. But churches have done that, and then denominations have said, well, we don't think we're even on the same page anymore. I don't even think you have the same Jesus, because our Jesus dunked underwater. <laughs> Which, by the way, um, biblically, in the ancient world, when Jesus was baptized, he did dunk all the way underwater, but he did it alone and was all the way naked. And I don't think many churches want to be that biblical, so... 
So we build these fences when we stand behind our preferences. And we keep building them because we don't think of the interests of others because as soon as they get what they want, we start getting mad that we're not getting what we want. And we can do it in a church when we say they didn't play the songs I liked today. They played too many hymns at that church. (laughs) And so we divide. We do it in our relationships. And we keep building fences. And so Paul says, I don't think the picture of the Christian life is to build fences. But that's what happens. And so he tells us, would you, for a moment, not just look at your side of the fence. And maybe every once in a while you need to say, okay, when I go on vacation, my wife really likes to know the schedule. (laughs) And so... I don't really care the schedule. I know where we're going. I know where we're going to be that night. I know the destination, but I'm going to start making an itinerary that's detailed, and I'm even going to schedule in spontaneity <laughs> because some people like schedules so much that when you say, this is scheduled, unscheduled time, they go like, okay, awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> but when you start to say, okay, maybe there's another side to this fence, And it's okay for me to consider your interests in this case that instead of building a fence, we can take them down. And we can say, it's not so important for me to always have strength on my side of the fence. But what's important is that we don't have a fence between us. What's important is that we don't have fences in our church And we know that some of you are going to like hymns and some of you are not. Some of you are going to like drums and guitars and some of you are not. We know that. We know that we have a teaching team. Some of you are going to be of Apollo and some will be of Paul. (laughs) I'm not going to call anyone out. (laughs) We have preferences. But as a church, we say we want to be united in spirit to be about what God wants us to accomplish. And there's times when it's not going to be my preference. And the budget maybe spends too much on global missions, and for some of you, not enough. But we're united in spirit, and we're praying together, we're trusting one another, and we're saying we refuse to let our side of the fence become a wall that divides. And I believe that's what Paul is telling us here. And it comes when we approach each other with humility. When we say we care about you and your perspective. We care. In a marriage, we care about who you are. We're always perfect? No. Are there times we need to go back and raise the walls we put up? Yes. It happens. We go back to each other and say, I'm so sorry that we built this wall. But notice, if you wait till the wall is built, it's a lot harder to get it down. We want to take care of those fence boards before they get too many, before there's too many. You know, the, the events from this last week just reminded me of how much we as a church need to be fighting for our marriages. How much as a church we need to be fighting for our young single adults. Praying for them, walking with them. 
You see, because one thing that could happen is when you see a prominent person kind of have a, a, a moral failure, someone who is an example to others, one of the thoughts could be, well, then who can we trust? And, you know, the truth is, we're, but there, but by the grace of God, we can all sin. And we need God's grace. We need to invest in our, our marriages. We need to check our hearts as often as possible. We need to keep short accounts. We need to not let fences be built. But I do want to encourage you, and I, I talked with, with one of you this weekend who was worried about this. And their own family, they were kind of questioning and saying, hey, we don't even know who you can trust. Can any guy ever be trusted? And the truth is, as I kind of thought about that and pondered it, there's a couple things. One, statistically, it's, you can trust. It's not like everybody has the same failures and same fall. But two, we can't just say, well, it's not a big deal. We need to fight. Because what the enemy of God wants is for us to give up on marriage. Wants, to give up, wants us to give up on healthy relationships with one another, even if you're not married. The enemy of God wants us to destroy the concept of what it means to, to, to raise families in that environment. Wants you to not trust any guy ever again. That's what the enemy wants. Wants churches to crumble and fall apart over issues like this. And so we cannot just sit back and say, well, not a big deal. We need to pray fervently. We need to invest in our relationships. We need to fight for our marriages. We need to be a church that says, we refuse to build fences with each other, even in our, uh, all of our friendships with one another, in our life groups, in our men's groups. The men need to not build fences. We need to meet these things early on and be united, standing strong in the spirit, fighting with one another. We need to do that for our couples. And we can do that when we start looking out for the interests of others. When we start saying, God, you've placed me here. You've placed me in relationship with other people. Give us the courage and the strength to stand united. Give us the courage and strength to be an example to others. God, we need grace. We need your help. We need your mercy. We need you to walk with us. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up as we end our time. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, he writes this, and I believe that this kind of sums up a lot. I have it on the screen for you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Can, can we be a church that can honor one another in love? in our life groups, in our high school ministry, in our junior high ministry, in our kids' ministries, can we learn to honor one another in love? Can we keep our spiritual fervor? Can we be people who say, God, we want our minds set on you and your things. We need your power. We need your spirit to guide us. We need your help. So let's pray, and I want to ask you to stand as we pray and sing one final song. And this final song is a familiar one. And the song called, it just basically says, God, be our vision. And it's a prayer that says, we want our lives to be about what you want them to be. We need you to set our vision. We need you to set their direction. We need you to be our guide. Because left on our own, 
can't do it. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for your unconditional love for us. I thank you that you've rescued us from the dominion of darkness and, and, and transferring us into the kingdom of light. And God, I pray this morning that you would shine through the darkness. And Lord, to the pain that some people are feeling today and the, the rejection and the doubt and the betrayal and maybe there's marriages here today who are right, they're on the fringe of breaking apart and maybe there's just relationships between parents and kids who are on the fringe of breaking apart. Maybe there's some roommates here today who are, who are struggling with one another. God, would you be the, our vision in our hearts? Would you be the vision in our church? Would you allow us to surrender our lives to you and your spirit and to live according to your ways as you change and shape us? So God, we give you this as our prayer here this, this morning as we end with one final prayer as we sing this to you, God. Hear our hearts.